0: The Animation Podcast, April 23rd,
1: 2006. Hey everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to show number 15 of The Animation Podcast. The first thing I'd like to do is give a little background on the show for any new listeners. My name is Clay Cadis, and I've worked at Disney Feature Animation since 1994, and this show is my opportunity to talk with so many inspiring people and share those conversations with you. And if you want to find more information, you can head over to the website at animationpodcast.com, and there you can read a little more and find all of the previous shows. Show 15 will continue my conversation with Glenn Keane, supervising animator of Ariel, the Beast, and Aladdin, to name just a few, and he's currently directing the upcoming film Rapunzel. And just one thing before we get started, please listen after the interview to find out how you can have your question answered by Glenn in an upcoming show. And now, Glenn Keane Part 2. I was an intern on Pocahontas, and me and my friend Sean would wander the halls. And one day, you kind of grabbed us by the arms and like, "Come, come, look at this! Come look at this!" And it was your um, Colors of the Wind test—the huh. charcoal animation you had done. And you know, we were trying to learn how to do an in-between, and here you are showing us, you know, animation done on charcoal, and not the characters, but the wind blowing their elements all over the place. And, and our minds were just going to explode when we left, but um, that's a good way to shatter a young student. But. <laughs> But uh, it was great. I mean, we still talk about it. You know, we still remember just the fact that, you know, you didn't care who we were. You just grabbed us and you showed us and I think that speaks to the um the mentoring that you were given, you know, by Eric and Ollie. Uh, could you talk a little more about um Ollie's mentoring? Like how did he teach animation? Did did you bring him a shot and he would go over it or how did it work? Well, it start. you started off kind of uh with training wheels. Uh
2: you didn't just go in and start training with Ollie. You had to first
1: emulate his style, and that's another thing. Actually, I wanted to kind of bring up with Ollie is he seems like an emotional animator. I mean, his characters mm-hmm. always you always feel what they're feeling, and and when I saw him, um, I think it was last year. I, I spoke with him briefly, and he, you know, he's he's always pointing. He's like, you, you have to feel what the characters are feeling in your heart, you know, and and he really means it. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, he means it, and it shows on the screen, and that seems to be kind of. Uh, the animation that you do is emotional like Ollie's. Did you get that from him or is it just something that you've developed on your own? I
2: think that's always just been me. I mean, I'm not a person who, uh, is a very, I I wouldn't, maybe not analytical though. I, one of my favorite things is to analyze and observe and study, but I much more intuitive and, um, Now, I'm the opposite of, say, Milt Call. And in many ways, Eric Larson, too. Because Eric Larson was a very, very analytical animator. Oh, really? And he remember having a discussion with Eric. We were in some kind of a screening room with all the trainees. We were sitting there and we were showing our tests. And Eric was talking that you have to see the animation in your mind before you animate it. And. And I remember saying, uh, Erica, I don't see it. Well, yeah, yes, you do, Glenn. You, you, you see it in your head, and then you animate it. No, I, I really don't see it. I, I, I never see it. Well, yes, you do, because you couldn't draw it if you didn't see it. I said, no, no, I've, I've, I really don't see it in my mind. Um, and he was using Milt Call as an example, because you would watch Milt draw, and Milt would just start to almost trace... An outline of something that he was seeing graphically in his head, Mm -hmm. and mine was much more. I if I didn't feel it, if I didn't kind of emotionally connect with it, the drawing would it would just be dead. And and so I always have to kind of to really relate to the emotions and the feelings and the and and it was more of a. That's the bar I set for myself inside, kind of in my emotions, and I knew how I felt, and I'd start to draw, and my drawing would have to respond to my feelings. And it, I always felt feel like there's a bell that goes off inside of me when it hits that, mm-hmm. and that's when I can stop doing that. But I will keep drawing that one thing over and over and over and over and over and over over again until that bell goes off. And I've I've spent days on one drawing, just doing it hundreds of times, trying to get that, hit that emotion
1: inside of me. Yeah, obviously, Milt is the technical end of animation and Ollie's the emotional end, I think. Yeah. And, And you're definitely on the emotional end.
2: And sometimes off the deep end. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: when you talk about the emotion in the drawing, do, does that do you have to carry that through an entire scene as you're going, or is it more in just the, the finding the key poses, and you can kind of relax your? Because you know, yeah. to me that sounds exhausting. It it is exhausting. Um, well, I certainly put
2: it through in the uh, my thumbnails and then into the the key poses that I'm working with, but it it doesn't stop. At that point it it really does follow all the way through mm-hmm. um but once once I really hit the key poses th- it's more of the joy of it you know it's like i've you've practiced it enough and you can you can now just go ahead and play that piece on the piano and you and it's a joy of the expression and I'm living it and I'm enjoying it uh though I really do get completely lost in the moment that I'm animating and I'll like to turn off all the lights in my office, so it's just one light over my desk, and and I just focus on that. Mm-hmm. No um, music or anything? Yeah, I mean, some t- if I put music, it's it's music that goes with the piece I'm animating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like Beethoven's Ninth in, uh, in, Be- in Beauty and the Beast, where the beast is transforming or... It's uh, as the eagle is flying and rescuers is down under and Marahute. I'm listening to um, Aaron Copeland's uh, Fanfare for a Common Man and uh, um, just music that that excites me that way. No, it's not always like that. There's plenty of times where it becomes a very, uh, I don't want to say technical, but driven to understand how to actually draw a hand from the right perspective and i I go you might get anatomy books and i'll study how to that drawing of the hand or i'll look at some footage of hands or i'll look at my own and and i'll do some study on that and Mm -hmm. then i go back and
1: study always kind of breaks the log jam for me it's yeah um it's kind of remarkable (laughs) You, you think oh i just i can't figure this out i'm stuck i'm stuck and then you, you go and you, you act it out, or you, you look at a book, or whatever. And yeah, it's you wish you had done it four hours ago. You know,
2: <laughs> I know it's it's weird that it seems like when when you you run up against uh, a problem, you always think it's just because oh I'm not good enough, but it, it's not that. Mm-hmm. It's just that you've kind of hit the limit of your knowledge, and you've got to go out and observe and get and find and discover something more. Those are really great. Those are the best times when you feel like you you stink and you can't get it any better and you're stuck and you're in a rut. That's like, man, now this is the world is open and you know, you're ready to learn something new and you mm-hmm. got to go. You got to mm-hmm. take advantage of that. But you're right. You sit there and you wallow in that for mm-hmm. like uh, sometimes a week. You know, which yeah. is crazy. But back to your question about Ollie, um, his approach <clears throat> really started off with that you had to in between for him first. And at that time, Ollie was overseeing John Pomeroy's animation. So I was in betweening first for John Pomeroy. And John was really trying to emulate Ollie because he had been studying under Ollie. And I remember John just trying to teach me to do in-betweens for him that looked like his drawing. And John had this really, really light touch, and he would draw with these polychromo blue pencils and with a nice flat surface. And, and he'd say, see, Glenn, you just got to let it kiss the paper. Just kiss the paper. <laughs> <laughs> because I was drawing like a caveman with bold strokes. And and so I got to the point that I could kiss the paper, you know, and he couldn't tell the difference between my in-between and his. I mean, the, the goal was, did did you do that or did I do that? So then, Ollie needed an in betweener, and he'd seen that John had been training me, and uh, so Ollie boop, <laughs> picked me from took me from uh, from working with John, and I started working with Ollie, and it was it was really wonderful. I mean, because you feel like you are I don't know able to to play basketball like Michael Jordan suddenly. but you're kind of attached to him and you're leaping (laughs) in the air and dunking, you know, and you're participating in all this stuff and you're flipping it and feeling, Oh, this is so cool. I'm part of this. Mm -hmm. So then it came time for getting to the end of rescuers and, and he's got tons of footage to get done. I mean, you got to realize that those films were really animated by just a handful of people. Yeah. And, uh, Guy like me was really more of a burden around their neck, I think, and just helping in betweening. Until towards the end, Ollie was okay. Glenn, we've got to we've got to get a bunch of footage done, and I've posed out these scenes here. You go ahead and you take the uh, the poses, and you go ahead and animate it. And that was the next step up from in betweening. He had kind of solved all of the technical problems in the scene in terms of the major attitudes and expressions and but it was how to move in, how to move out, what happens with the head rolling as it hits that pose. Do you keep turning the head? Is there a little gesture with the shoulder? And um those are the things that of course I didn't do when I first I just kind of <laughs> was trying to in between into it. And he said and then he started showing me, no, you keep it alive like this. Or what I would do is I would always throw in more poses in between, like I was going to improve it. And he was always taking all of those things out and just showing me the simplicity of, he said, the audience thinks in terms of pictures. And you've got to leave a picture in their mind that stays. So find your golden poses. These are golden poses. You want to spend time around the golden poses. Don't come up with lots of different ones, but just really value the poses that you've got. and learn to milk it learn to to work within that once you get there and, and it, it was really just learning the disciplines of of being an animator and a confidence of of a pose and not feeling like you got to oh, oh man i've been sitting here in this pose for like wow, three pages on my x sheet i got to change this pose now mm-hmm. it's like no, no no just you know just stay still and focus and and as he would say you know if your character is, is still if their head's not turning around and moving they're thinking if you you hold the character still people can focus in and start to imagine what the character is thinking um anyway so it was through that phase then eventually um he was giving me just scenes to go ahead and animate on my own and always there to catch me when i was falling and helping me and encouraging just amazing encouragement i remember him saying Glenn, you, 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 you guys, your generation is going to do greater things than us someday. I was like, whoa! I, I, I really didn't believe it, but I, but it was so nice to hear him say that mm-hmm. instead of, uh, kind of, uh, oh man, we're sure, we're really leaving this, you know, this wonderful legacy in the hands of some schmucks here you know it it it, it was it was confidence Mm -hmm. i thought misplaced confidence and i'm still waiting for that (laughs) (laughs) fulfillment um but it's really important i think to to encourage new people starting because i know for ollie when they started he wasn't he wasn't doing what he ended up at the level where he was. He started off the same way and was mm-hmm. taught from Freddie Moore and uh, Norm Ferguson. and um, that's, it,
1: that's what it takes. I know in, in another interview you talked about a shot you did at the start of The Rescuers and you were very nervous about you know, kind of ruining the movie with your shot. <laughs> and I was wondering if you could talk about kind of finding a balance between what you would like to be a perfect shot and the realities of production. I mean how do you how do you balance that? Yeah, it's really hard to deal with the, the pressures of production
2: and the pressures of your own personal desire to be an artist. I mean that's that's the bigger pressure I think, but <laughs> well, it should be. Yeah. It really should be, but it's amazing how many people let that fire get blown out by production. I mean production sometimes can can be like a a bowl on a candle that just poof, it snuffs it out, and you become bitter, and and you forget why you even wanted to do this. And I, I always came down to this for me. It was kind of weird, but uh, I don't know, multiple times on a picture, I'd come to the point where, okay, this is it. I am not going to be able to get this done, and it has to be done, and I'm not going to be able to do it, though I could just schlock it and just let it go. And and different pictures, different directors are a lot more lenient. And, and you know that they would accept it. They'd just, yeah, it looks good. But I couldn't just do that. And you'd have to let a little part of you die or something to do that. And I always kind of came, came to that point, like, I, I don't care. What's, what's the worst that can happen? And I always came to the point of, <clears throat> well, I get fired. They, they realized that Glenn's always been faking it all along anyway. <laughs> like, that's what I, you know, basically I know that's true for me. He's been faking it all along anyway. <clears throat> Here it is, and he's really screwed up. He's, you know, given him this big responsibility, and it's not going to get done, and you're going to have to get fired. And so I would, I pictured myself leaving. You know, this is all like, you know, th- some Thursday afternoon, the scene has to get done by Friday, you know. And so I, okay, then I just go home and get to be with my wife a lot more. Yeah, maybe we sell the house. Well, I, I Maybe I could paint. I could draw. And, oh man, it would be wonderful not to have this pressure. Huh. Yeah, that's really, that's a good trade. It's certainly better than, than giving in and doing something that looks bad and losing track of who I am. And so then I would just, Okay, good. So then I'd, I sometimes I would just leave work and I'd go to like a library somewhere and I'd look through books. And this is where the pressure was really crazy because the problems were usually something that were um you couldn't just push through just by drawing better. Mm-hmm. You needed to go away and it was going to take time. And I would just go and start searching. And sometimes in an afternoon I would find a book. It would like one day I found Augustus John, uh, an artist who I just fell in love with, and I looked at his drawing, and it was dimension and volume and beautiful subtlety and curves. Oh, gosh, I just still just in love with his drawing, uh, and it was like this angel just gave me this gift, and came back and I put Augustus John drawings around my desk and. Wow, I just wanted to draw like that and and suddenly this scene was now about drawing like Augustus John, you know, and mm-hmm. and it the dam broke. Another time it was going to the um Norton Simon Museum. It was during during that um the Beast transformation. I there was no time I had no time left to do it and um I didn't know what I've been waiting the whole picture to do this and finally there was one week left and that was it to animate the whole scene. And and I was, my brain was about to explode. So Don Hahn came in, and I I, I love Don's, uh, you know, heart for the artist anyway. He really gets it. And he said, you know, Glenn, just do what you got to do. I, I'm not going to worry about the schedule. Just do what you got to do. So that was the day that I just went, and I went to Norton Simon, looked at the Burgers of Calais and Rodin sculptures, and I just started drawing that. And, um and really and, and that's right and then found the sculptures from Michelangelo of the um the slaves kind of freed from the rock mm-hmm. half sculpted coming out and and um really started falling in love with this idea of sculptural drawing and it's something something now even that that's really really where I want to go after Rapunzel, the <laughs> sculptural drawing, even in Rapunzel, but beyond. I mean, I really think that hand-drawn animation has some gigantic territory to go. Okay. I mean, I, I feel like we are like in in the um, the Byzantine period of art, and you 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 haven't even seen the Renaissance or the Impressionism yet. I mean, in terms of where hand-drawn animation is at, uh, it's and the computer's going to really help us be able to do that mm-hmm. but it's not going to be done without this this passionate drawing and expressiveness of uh, with the pencil or a stylus on the computer screen or something but there there really is something wonderful uh, still to come
1: and when you say sculptural do you mean more dimensional or or just the forms and because it seems like you know animation or your drawings are already have a lot of that and how is that going to be pushed further? Do you think, in your mind? Well, if you look at Rodin and you look at Degas, these are and
2: or Michelangelo, um, all three of those artists are frustrated uh, painters, frustrated sculptors. They can't decide what they want to do they're they're sculpting or they're drawing they're painting or they're sculpting they're drawing they're sculpting what they painted and they're painting what they sculpted and they're photographing and they're you know they're using everything and it's all about this how can i get my hands around this uh this figure and at the same time i love the graphic shape and power of drawing there's this there's something in the sculpture and there's something in the drawing That's exactly what the computer can do. Mm -hmm. I mean, it can really give you the solid form, and yet it's still presenting it flat on a screen. It's not really a three-dimensional sculpture. It's still flat. And that's what I'm thinking, is that uh, you can actually be doing drawing and sculpting, that you can actually sculpt a figure and draw and have that sculpted form move to the... to the to the line, to the edges of your line, and that you are actually manipulating a, a sculptural figure by drawing. But it's not a cleanup line. Yeah. It's a it's like bold, a, expressive like line. like a
1: gestural sculpture kind of. Yeah.
2: yeah, and that you can throw light onto it, or you can, like Degas' um, uh, pastel figures that have this, these forms of that he's he's like wrapping the pastel around a dimensional form. And what if you did actually did that? Mm-hmm. And i there's something something really expressive to get and I feel like this change to going to CG has um in some ways taken uh the shackles off of hand drawn and lets hand drawn be free to express itself in a much freer way. Yeah. And the look of Disney animation look of traditional animation is uh it's been developed because of technical limitation that's why we have cleanup but if if you invented animation today with all the technology that there is you would not do a film that looks like the traditional disney film no (laughs) you're right it would be something a lot more personal and expressive and um not that we shouldn't continue to do the traditional Disney look in hand drawn, but I think that now there's another opportunity, yeah. another another path. Yeah, that's just I, one style, really. yeah. yeah, yeah. The CG is is offering so much for what uh, what I want to see in the picture I'm directing, Rapunzel. Um, that I I really believe that we can deliver it better in this form. I say in CG, but it's it can't be the CG that we all know. It has to be a CG that's informed and driven by hand-drawn principles. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we've got to go there. I, I love this quote. Michel, Michelangelo said that um, design, or as it is called by another name, drawing, is the root and fountainhead of all sculpture architecture painting and science or you could say computer science hmm. and he says that uh, let him who has attained this know that he possesses a great treasure and i really think that that's that's what you we can't lose here at disney or any any artist anywhere that idea of drawing and observation and seeing what's out there and exp- there's some some connection that happens with how you feel emotionally, your life experiences, everything comes out through, through that pencil. It's like it's not connected to just your brain. It's connected to everything about you, and um, there's huge value to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm certainly not ready to, to let that, that stop. <laughs>
1: What a place to end it. But really, that is the end of the conversation. Uh, The good news is that we're going to meet again, and I'm looking for questions from you. I'll get to all the details in a second, but first, we've got quite a few voice messages to play for you. You guys have really taken advantage of the new voicemail page, and it not only makes the show sound better, but it makes my life easier. Uh, So I thank you for that. So here's the calls. Hello, Clay, this is um, Christian uh, calling from London. I'd like to say thanks very much for the podcast it's really great to listen to the fantastic artists and animators that you've had on uh, and so inspirational to just hear them talk honestly about their work and it inspires the work I do during the day and I've listened to him a few times and I've just listened to the Glen Keane one and to know that he thinks he, he may have drawn a bad drawing once Uh, makes me think maybe I've got a chance. So um, thanks very much and you did a great job. Cheers. Thanks for the message, Christian. You're not the only one. I've got tons of emails from people saying that they feel the same way, about hearing the struggle of someone they really admire, and realizing that it's hard for everybody. So uh, you're not alone there.
0: Hi Clay, my name is Ikumi and I'm from New York. People in New York animation industry can probably tell who I am because I'm the only Kumi that I know in the United States. I listen to your podcast during my two-hour commute to and from work, and your voice is so soothing um, that it makes me zone out, and sometimes I forget to listen to the interviews. Someday, I hope you put a picture or something on your website so that I have something to identify with your voice. Anyways, um, I was listening to a Ron and John episode the other day, talking about Little Mermaid and I think it was mentioned in the episode that um, probably Jeffrey Katzimmer, right? Um, It was mentioned that he had low expectation for the film because in the past experiences, girls films didn't do well. And listening to that comment actually gave me chills. Um, I was born in Japan and I grew up immersing myself in manga and anime which has tons of various genres. I mean they have manga about cooking and manga about baseball players and I absolutely love girl manga, uh, shoujo manga as a young girl. And I felt that Katzenberg's comment was a pretty good representation of the narrow-minded attitude that American audiences have towards the medium. And I believe as artists we can all do a much better job to change that attitude towards cartoon so that the medium will be accepted by even wider audiences. And for that I think we all need influences beyond Hellboy and Star Wars and we as an industry need to get to know and identify with many different types of people as possible so we can create sophisticated works that cater to different markets like young adults, uh, businessmen and middle aged housewives, etc. And that being said, um, the great animators that you have interviewed so far have enough power and fame to influence the industry. And on future interviews, I would like to know what kind of changes they would like to see happen in the animation world. And I hope that aspiring artists who are listening to your podcast have bigger dreams beyond just uh, getting into Disney or other major studios. Anyway, um, I really listen to your, like listening to your podcast, and uh, great job!
1: Hey Akumi, I've received all types of compliments, but no listener's ever told me I put them to sleep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but seriously, uh, there is uh, no need for a photo of me on the website, because there is a masterful drawing by my good friend Dave Pimentel of me on the About Me page. And in terms of learning more about manga, like he said, uh, I have to admit that I'm guilty of knowing nothing about manga. Uh, except for the fact that it's the Japanese name for comics, and if I'm wrong about that, just let me know. And that brings up something I've thought about for a while, and that is that you, my listeners, know of a much broader scope of art and animation than I could ever explore, and I'd love to hear what you guys like. I think it would be a great thing for uh, for other people to come and check out, maybe find some artists or uh, movies they should watch that maybe they've never even heard of. So I've created a post on the site where I want anyone to come and comment and tell me and everyone else about one of your favorite works of art or animation that uh, you think everyone should see but maybe hasn't. It would be great to mention why it speaks to you and where we could find it if it's available. For more details, go to the site and there should be a post somewhere around show 15 titled Ask the Listeners. Hopefully we'll get some good discussion going and uh, we'll all learn some new influences.
0: I just wanted to say thank you very much for making something like this available. This is... Definitely one of the coolest things I've seen so far. Uh, I'm an animation student, and this is amazing. it look right into the brains of uh, some amazing animators. So thanks again, and please keep it up. Forget it, forget it.
1: Animation
2: podcast. Woo! All right. Hi, in the Uruguayan animation portal, called Animate, we have added an, an article uh, to link to your wonderful audition. You may ask uh, where is Uruguay? Well, it's a small country between Argentina and Brazil in South America with a rich tradition and a stop-motion animation. And now we are dealing with 3D and uh, drawings. So um, I hope this could help to, to get to more audience to, to your wonderful site.
1: Hey, thanks for the link, Victor, and for spreading the word about the animation podcast in South America. If anyone wants to see Victor's animation site and you can read Spanish, I've added a link to the show notes for show 15.
0: Hey, Clay. My name is Tim, and I'm a traditional animation student at the School of Visual Arts in New York. I want to thank you for interviewing Glenn Keane. I think it's awesome. He's a real hero of mine in many different ways. And my question for you is, is there any way to send fan mail to Glenn Keane? Because I've been looking for his email address or mailing address or something on Google, and it's, it's actually really hard to find. I can't find anything on him. So if you know of any way to uh, send fan mail to Glenn Keane, that would be awesome if you could post that or or play it on the next podcast or anything. All right, thanks. Bye.
1: Hi, Tim. Thanks for the message. Uh, This isn't the first request I've received from someone wanting to contact a guest from a show, and I'm sorry, but I've got to say I can't help you there. My focus is to bring you guys these interviews from people who generously offer their time and knowledge and uh, really expect nothing in return. And... I just can't become a gateway uh, for people to contact the guests on the show. So I'm sure that every studio has an easily obtainable mailing address where letters can be sent. So good luck with that. And uh, don't let me dissuade you. Uh, You can figure it out. And I'm sure anyone would uh, be happy to receive a letter.
0: Hi, Clay. This is Stephanie. And uh, I'd just like to thank you so much for the podcast because... They always motivate me in the night, whether doing animation, layout, storyboard, you know, when you're feeling down and you feel like you can't do good and, you know, the masters said themselves that they feel the same way, you feel better all of a sudden.
1: Where is the air-shattering Kaboom? Um. The T-35 Space Modulator.
0: That would be...
1: Are you calling
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's also in animation
1: like i am space thank you hey thanks for the message stephanie and uh, your boyfriend marvin okay so now you know the power of the voicemail system and here's where it gets stronger if you have a question for glenn keen i want you to record it on the voicemail page of animationpodcast.com and if it's good it might be used in the upcoming interview And I'm only considering questions submitted through the voicemail page. So no emails and no telephone calls for this, please. If you have more than one question, please just pick the best one and uh, keep it short and sweet. So if you're interested in doing this, uh, just go to the website at animationpodcast.com and find the voicemail page. And there you'll find some details on the format of how you can ask your question. Of course, all of this information is always available online at animationpodcast.com. While you're there, leave a comment on a show, and if you haven't taken the survey, you can easily find the link at the top of the page. Over 300 people have responded already, and uh, it's not too late for you to participate too. And I'm looking forward to sharing some of the uh, more entertaining results with you guys. Wow, that was a long show with lots to cover, so thanks for hanging in there with me. I do have one last audio message to play that came as a nice surprise and made me smile, so thanks to Snappy Pappy for this one that will close out the show. So until next time, thanks for tuning in.